Good evening. This is the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, Black Cinema, for the month of February. Tonight, we're going to talk about an icon. You know, some nights we'll talk about films, and then we reserve it for an icon. And this woman was an icon in film, television, stage, and music. She started out as a dancer at the Cotton Club when she was 16. She was born on June 30th, 1917. Died on May 9th, 2010. Born Lena Mary Calhoun Horn. The amazing Lena Horn. An icon. Her 1981 woman show, Lena Horn, The Lady and Her Music, ran for over 300 performances on Broadway. Many accolades. Yes. She was performing into the 90s and disappeared from the public in 2000. She died of heart failure at the age of 92. What an amazing icon. Started out in films as Cab Calloway's Jitterbug Party, the 1935 short subject, The Duke is Tops, 1938, Panama Hattie in 1942, Cabin in the Sky in 1943 with Vincent Minnelli as director, Stormy Weather, 1943, Thousands Cheer, 1943, I Dude It, 1943, Swing Fever, 1943, Boogie Woogie Dream, 1944, Subject Short, filmed in 1941, Broadway Rhythm, 1944, Two Girls and the Sailor, I gotta list them all, Till the Clouds Roll By in 1946, Ziegfeld Follies, 1946, Words and Music, 1948, Duchess of Idaho, 1950. Meet Me in Las Vegas, 1956, The Heart of Show Business, 1957, Short Subject, Death of a Gunfighter, 1969, and of course, The Wiz in 1978. That's Entertainment 3, 1994. Now, The Wiz, here's what's interesting about The Wiz. The Wiz was made by her former son-in-law, Sidney Lumet. And a lot of people I don't think know that about Lena Horne is, yes, Sidney Lumet, 12 Angry Men, Murder on the Orient Express, director, Serpico, was once married to Lena Horne's daughter, Gail Lumet Buckley. Lena Horne had two children. She had a son, Edwin Jones, who died in 1970 of kidney disease. Yes. Lena Horne's career is very interesting. It's very Her film career, there were moments that she wanted, and the way Hollywood racism was rampant. And she talked about that openly. But I want to play for you a clip. Um, we I had discussed it on Monday at the beginning of this podcast series on black cinema where we were going to talk about you know the moment where Lena Horne met Had McDaniel because you know when Lena Horne came to Hollywood it was it, I mean people were ready for a change and some people weren't it was like okay you know we don't they, they were 
what was happening was is that there wanted to be a sense of class in black cinema and you know Hattie McDaniel had just won the Oscar for playing Mammy in Gone with the Wind and that was a controversial thing you know people were happy she won but for the film that she wanted for it was a controversial it's still a controversial film but you know I'll tell you from personal experience watching Gone with the Wind you got to give it to you got to give it to Hattie McDaniel as Mammy she really pulled her own in that movie and yeah Yes, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Ruby Dee, this great uh, African-American actress, said to me on more than one occasion, you know, talking about Hattie Daniels' performance, she's coming from a real place. And the thing is, again, the context in which we see her. We don't know where she where she goes when she leaves Scarlett's side. We don't know her relationship with other black characters. None of that is explained to us. But she carries with her this toughness. She's got that big sonic boom of a voice. Yes, she does. So you know when she speaks that she was born to give orders, not to take them. And this is the feeling she herself has. And she is able, she's strong enough that we're with her as the film goes along, even though we feel there is much we're not told. And she's very moving at the end, I mean, towards the end with, you know, all the tragedies that that mount. And and you see her range as an actress. And I do think she deserved that Oscar. Yeah. And she always was very quick to rebut the criticism that she should have been hesitant to play such a stereotypical role. Yes. You know, she was an ambitious actress. This was the... That's Donald Bogle. ...for a black woman at that time. Uh, She wanted it, and then she had to defend it. With Ben Mankiewicz. ...to a difficult uh, position in that respect, because um, she didn't want to alienate Selznick or the Hollywood community. Sure, she wanted to keep working. But I'll tell you something interesting about her. Lena Horne... When she went to Hollywood, Lena Horne. and Lena Horne was ushering in a new image of African Americans, mm-hmm. composed, poised, um, and some within the black community were sort of resentful of Lena Horne, that they might not get work if Hollywood really changed. And Hattie McDaniel invited Lena Horne to her home, and Lena Horne said that Hattie McDaniel was her great defender. And she said that McDaniel's home was, uh, Lena Horne said this, it was exquisite. And she said that Hattie McDaniel told her that on screen she was a mammy, but in her own home she was Hattie McDaniel. So she had a sense of this, that she was not going to be this other person, um, you know, in her own home and in a sense with her community. But she did defend her role. Donald, great stuff. Thank you for for uh, for talking about it. We got much more to come. Okay. Up next, look at and so yeah, that is an interesting take on Lena Horne and Hattie McDaniel. My God, you know Lena Horne. Uh, there's a really great documentary about her from 1996 when she was 79 years old, called Lena Horne in her own voice, and that's where you learn about this this woman who wanted to be a teacher you know and um 
if we can find it, you know. But the music, I, you know, what's interesting is she was not. She didn't consider herself a great musician. She said she always faked it. It wasn't until she was exposed later on to um, musicians that her voice in a way developed you know over time she had a really great singing voice and how it matured over time you know and that's rare within um you know um the music industry is someone where their their singing voice has these beautiful shades that just uh, here we go this is um this is a documentary from america masters and this is this is uh, Lena Horn in her own voice. Stepfather couldn't get jobs, and even though I was only sixteen, I needed to work so we could eat. I couldn't sing or dance, but I was young and cute. Exactly what those gangsters who owned the Cotton Club were looking for. It was a sort of ghetto paradise in Harlem, with some of the greatest black performers around putting on a nightly show for a white only audience and that's uh cab calloway and so many others you know that lena horn revered as icons within her life within her community you know and she found a sense of family because her own family was fractured about seeing great black stars stage with other people felt like being part of a family and I liked that. All my life I've been looking for a family beginning at the age of three when my parents divorced. Throughout my childhood they pursued their own lives with little time for me. My father into the sporting life on the fringes of the rackets. My mother chasing her fairy tale dreams of life in the theater. The only stabilizing influences in my life were my Brooklyn grandparents, stalwart members of the black bourgeoisie. Their home was a periodic refuge from being shunted from one group of strangers to another, mostly in the South, while my mother was on the road. My nomadic childhood taught me to hide my feelings. I would smile and try hard to fit in, but I mostly felt like an outsider. My favorite books were always about orphans. I became very secretive. I became very suspicious of everyone. I became uh, unable to be my real self. I was like two people, two leaners, the one I showed the world and the one inside of me. I was 15 when my grandmother died. I felt I'd lost the core of me. The daughter of an ex-slave, she became a college graduate and a social activist. She taught me to love learning and I dreamed of being a teacher. So I cried when my mother pulled me out of school to work at the Cotton Club, which was really a form of indentured servitude. I was signed for a lifetime contract. <laughs> and that's Lena Horne talking about her beginnings in Brooklyn. And, you know, from then on, the stage. The stage became, became Lena Horne's home. You know, in terms of her legacy, you know, you look at... Uh, 
in the documentary they talk about how her film career really wasn't what she wanted it to be in terms of the roles you know stormy weather and cabin in the sky where she has this that you know it's her alongside other characters it's all you know these are all black casts okay you know um and then of course the whiz you know the whiz is legendary because i mean you you think about who's in the whiz diana ross michael jackson nipsey russell and lena horn okay directed by sydney lumet you know sydney sydney lumet was doing you know serpico and murder on the orient express and um you know le- legendary director and here he is working with i don't know if, if him and were they divorced yet i don't know all, all i know is that that says something right there and then you know lena horn she was on television she's on the cosby show a different world sanford and son the muppet show perry como sesame street the judy garland show you know she talks about when she was on the judy garland show she thought she might get a show of her own and then there is a moment i think it was on the steve allen show uh or perry como where gary cooper reached out his hand to her and shook her hand and at that time on television blacks and whites didn't touch hands and the fact that someone of the stature of gary cooper would reach his hand out to shake it to lena horn i mean come on you know um that's the that's the that's what lena horn you know endured you know she talks about she wanted to play this character um in showboat where she was a flashy whore in love with a jockey um was it showboat i think it was showboat oh yeah and then what happened was they told her no so instead they cast her friend eva gardner put dark makeup on her dubbed her with someone else's voice and she played that character uh if i can find it ah here we go yes directed by george sydney oh my oh my yep Mm. (laughs) interesting you know i think the way we revere lena horn is is exceptional let's give her respect i don't see it happening as much as happened to us 10 years ago i think it's worsened and it's like the french say the more more we change the more it stays the same uh i'm hearing the same old stories and seeing the same old incidents I saw before 1960. And when Paul Robeson told me, that's all right, your grandchildren will say it better, he didn't know I'd still have to wait. Now I've got a great-grandson and wonder how long he's going to have to wait. But I also like, like the fact that my young grandchildren don't think it was as bad as I thought it was. 
and they don't think it was as bad as my, my, my daughter thinks it was. So there's a little hope for each generation. I just, I'm so mad I won't be here to see it. And that's Lena Horne talking about race and talking about, you know, a lot that went on. Yeah. You know, every everyone loved uh, everyone loved Lena Horne, especially Ed Bradley. Ed Bradley got to interview Lena Horne for 60 Minutes. On the air at 60 Minutes. I don't know how it would be possible to top Lena Horne. Uh, I'd be happy for the rest of my career if I could just meet the standards uh, that I think we set with that interview. Uh, it was one of those rare and wonderful occasions where everything worked. When I talked to Lena Horne, I heard the same stories that she told over the years, but I also heard things I'd never heard before. So I knew I was getting gold because I was getting new material. Uh, and we had a rapport. Um, I, I think she trusted me. Uh, and in that trust, she allowed herself to be vulnerable uh, and to open up and expose herself. Um, and, and that was what made that such a wonderful story was, was her willingness to be vulnerable and to talk about things that were that were painful to her. Uh, and it was just, uh, we really had a nice rapport. I mean, I, I can remember when we shot a sequence in Central Park and when I, we had finished the interview and, and I was walking her back to the car that was waiting to take her back to the hotel where she lived. Uh, and the cameraman said, I got a great shot of you and Lena holding hands. It had happened so naturally, I it just, I wasn't even aware of it, but I was helping her across a cobblestone path, and I had her arm, and I had her hand and, and her arm, and when we passed the cobblestones, we just walked hand in hand. Um, I mean, it was just a, such a natural thing to do, um, and I had been totally unaware of it. Of course, they used it in the, <laughs> they used it in the piece, and it upset my mother, who had Lena Horn on a pedestal. And how could I, her son, be involved with Lena Horn? Because she thinks if I'm holding Lena Horn's hand, obviously we have something going. I told Lena that story, and she said, "You know, I never liked young guys." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, the late Ed Bradley of 60 Minutes. Yep, you know that—that's what it's all about. And. Mm. Lena Horn, Lena Horn. You know, I remember when she was on. She she did so many interviews right before she, you know, um, left. You know, she went into she went into retirement. But you know, it's interesting, and I want to I want to play this because I, if you don't know who Jenny Lumet is, so Jenny Lumet is the daughter of Sydney Lumet and Gail Lumet. Buckley, okay. Gail is the daughter of Lena Horn, and Jenny was Lena Horn's granddaughter, and she wrote the screenplay for Rachel Getting Married, directed by Jonathan Demi, starring Anne Hathaway. So I thought, let's play this. This is someone who knew Lena Horn 
really well, and that's her granddaughter. And she was dry as a bone. Elizabeth, let's like have a Hannah and sit down. <laughs> my name is Jenny Lumet, and my grandmother is the extraordinary Miss Lena Horn. My father is Sidney Lumet, and he is a film director. I love The Wiz. I have emotional favorites of my dad's movies. It was Diana Ross and Nipsey Russell and Michael Jackson and um, a little dog. My grandma, and she was just as Glinda. That no one can change. Uh, she knew that her beauty was political. She had a complex relationship with her beauty. It wasn't enough for her to just step on a stage. And she did indeed walk the walk. And she was indeed at the March on Washington, where she said one word. She said freedom. Uh, she did indeed arrange the midnight flight for Dr. King. And she was the last person with Mr. Evers. And she was a very particular soul in a very particular package. The Stamps' background is reminiscent of Ms. Horn's stormy weather album. This was a really cool way into talking about her and talking about what it means to have the face of a woman of color as a thing that is representative of the United States of America. That conversation about women of color as Americans is something that my grandmother moved forward and I am forever grateful. Hey, I'm Veronica Webb with the Roots. Isn't that interesting? And so I wanted I wanted to play that where Gail, uh, where uh, Jenny Lumet is talking about her grandmother, you know, um, and if we can dive into here, you know, we got to go forward. You got to go forward. And, you know, Lena Horne married Lenny Hayton, a white um, composer, uh, for reasons she has said. Her first husband, um, Louis Jones, was a politician. They had kids together. Didn't work out, you know. Um, here we go. And no doubts about it. You just about to please jail and tell. Vincent Minnelli was also a displaced New Yorker. He and I connected immediately and became good friends. And he said to me, I'm so glad you're going to be here because we're going to make Cabin in the Sky and you're going to be in it. Chelsea Waters was the star of it. And I was certainly nervous to be working with her. Why, you, you beautiful, oh, don't you? Save that sugar Vincent talking. knew how I felt. And he told me how to play in the scenes with her. He taught me how to underplay everything I said in a very kittenish attitude, which played very well against her strength. Oh, I still love you. Now you just be a little more careful what you say to your wife in front of me. <laughs> Georgia, you keep out of this. I'm speaking my mind. And I ain't heard a sound. Now, little Joy, you're just so dumb you can't see what she's after. We're both after the same thing, but I'm still the wife and got the inside track. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't get much of a chance to act. Cabin in the Sky and later Stormy Weather were the only movies in which I played a character who was involved with the plot. Because those movies had all black casts, there was no mixing of races, so they could be shown anywhere. In every other film, I just sang a song or two, mostly playing myself, so that those scenes could be cut out for Southern audiences. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Lena Horn. Of course, we can't play Stormy Weather, probably 
the one song that she's known for. Um, isn't that interesting right there? Is that they would cut out her scenes for Southern audiences. Yeah. I wish you could see my expression right now. Yeah. But Hollywood is thankfully changing. Slowly but surely. And we will talk about that at a later time. But we got to give thanks to Miss Lena Horn. You know, beautiful, um, tough, you know, uh, was was friends with so many people. And then what she did for the civil rights movement, okay? You know, she was one of the last people, uh, persons to see Megar Evers before he, you know, was murdered. And, yeah. Let's see if we can find it. This is, uh, she really, you know, found herself at odds because here she was, you know, is she going to live in a black world? Is she going to live in a white world in terms of her status within the Hollywood confines? Home in Mississippi to do a concert for Southern Christian Leadership Conference and a speech for the NAACP. Nobody black or white who really believes in democracy can stand aside now. Everybody's got to stand up and be counted. That night I went to the church to do this concert and I had the most wonderful uplift, the most wonderful feeling that I'd ever had in my life. And all I could feel was to sing this little light of mine, which is a kind of simple little childish song, but I felt I had a light because they were making me feel so big and so so warm. I never will forget uh, the glow on Medgar Evers' face when Nina started singing. We were the last persons uh, to see Medgar before he was assassinated. Medgar Evers' death was probably the defining moment of her life. She had been, I think, sort of struck down like Saul on the road to Damascus. She was at a kind of crossroads trying to decide if she was going to just live in a black world or a black and white world or what. The 60s were a watershed period for me, as they were for everybody. This was a time when I knew I had to cross the divide that had separated me from my own people for so long. And I knew it would take a total commitment to return. And so what she did is her and her husband separated for a time. They did re reconnect before his death. Uh, her son died. Her good friend Billy Strayhorn died. You know, um, and so it wasn't until she was ushered in to come back with Alan King <laughs> and do something together. And that's where she started to get the idea for Lady and Her Music, which we can't really play because the songs, you know, um, um, there's a really great moment in Lady and Her Music um, where she says uh, where she's about to do uh stormy weather if i can find it a first to anybody i don't have to be an imitation of a white woman that hollywood sort of hoped i'd become i'm me and i'm like nobody else 
It's taken me 40 some odd years to grow comfortable with this song. My skin has grown around it. And no matter where it came from or how I got it, I'm allowed to sing it the way I feel. And she was describing Stormy Weather, her signature song. And that line, my grandmother and I watched that one time years ago. She loved that. Where Lena Horne's like, this take me 40 some odd years to grow comfortable with this song. Because she said, you know, there's certain songs, you sing them and it's like, oh, it's pretty. And then years later, it's like, whoa, it takes on a whole new meaning and a whole new embodiment of a movement, which Lena Horne is responsible for. She was the first black uh, actor actress to sign a long-term contract um but then you know the stipulations of that because there were certain things she wouldn't do and like her her father went with her and her father said she's not gonna you know run around in a leopard skin bikini um she's telling lb mayor this you know we all know about lb mayor um but lena horn as an icon as a someone who came in to basically say i'm here and hollywood whatever we we've got to do this and you know she didn't like going to california she talked about that she said she hated california she was done with this movie jazz she called it she just wanted to sing and do stage and do television so those you know uh, if you had okay so we got panama hattie where people thought she was a latin singer she wasn't and that and that upset people within the community oh that you're trying to pass as latin and then of course singing the blues you know she talks about this she said um everyone wanted to sing me the blues even though they weren't in my background at all they'd tell tell her learn to sing like billy holiday and so she went to billy holiday at the cotton club and she says you know they're telling me to sing the blues and i don't know what to do and she billy holiday who was very blunt said you have two babies you got to pay your rent sing the song yeah mm. but in terms of movies that represent lena horn cabin in the sky is an interesting movie it's um you know about a gentleman who i think he's not i he thinks he's dead and he thinks he's gone to hell or something and um she's kind of like <laughs> you know um one of the people who is sent to secure him she also did stormy weather stormy weather where she's singing you know stormy weather um and then the whiz you know the whiz if, if you say the whiz people are like yeah they kind of perk up because we all know about it not just for lena horn does this really beautiful song in the whiz calls if you believe in yourself you know she's glenda the good and dorothy is diana ross the scarecrow michael jackson the tin man is nipsey nipsey russell and you know uh yeah yeah i don't know who played toto but (laughs) if you've ever seen the whiz and you look at it and think whoa and that's from the mind of Sidney Lumet so you know and to have his former mother-in-law right there yeah that says something that says something and so Lena Horne you know very long career 
didn't really get the parts that she wanted. I will say that there is something magical about Cabin in the Sky. If you watch the ending, it's very interesting. But I think the Wiz, you know, the Wiz is just... It, she she didn't even look her age. You know, that, that was the beauty of, of uh, Lena Horne. And she joked about that. She joked about that in terms of the makeup um, for women of color back then in the 40s. Hair pieces. And then, you know... To come into the 80s from the 70s and to do television and to do the lady and her music, you know, this one woman stage show, she won a Grammy for it. Um, I think she also won a special Tony Award. And, you know, like I said, she didn't get the films that she thought would transform her career. But her career, when we look upon it, it is very it's historic and in 2002 when Halle Berry won her Oscar she mentioned Lena Horne she said this is for every nameless faceless of color because this door is open and now you have a chance and that was almost 20 years ago and today the Golden Globe nominations were announced and Miss Viola Davis and Audra Day are in the running right there. You know, uh, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Audra Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday. So, this, you know, Ma Rainey and Billie Holiday. Kind of, it's amazing. And so I think Lena Horne would be proud of that. She'd probably say, well, what about more? You know. Um, and... It's always about the music, though. She, Lena, or, Lena Horne always said that. At the end of the day, it's about the music. Yes, the movies, people, you know, what re- they'll remember her for certain movies. But, yeah. There's, there's something magical about her music. And so, if you really want to dive in to Lena Horne, you can go on YouTube and the movie, the documentary is there. It's called Lena Horn documentary, Lena Horn's 1996 PBS American masters biography. Okay. So as always unpleasant dreams. Good night.